Um, okay, so hello, welcome to early morning for us. Uh, right off the bat. Whole different kind of sauce. There really is no clinking of alcohol. There is clinking of coffee. Coffee. <laughs> We've got to get it in. It's a crazy time. You know, we're trying to get as much fun and excitement with our families, I feel like, in the summertime before we have a different schedule. Um, so just right off the bat, like, what's right with you? What's right with me? Um, so uh, let me think about that. Besides this wonderful hot cup of coffee, that's right. <laughs> if you really want to be grateful for something, the first cup is always the best cup. That is what is right with me at this very second Overall, what's right with me is, um, you're right, I've taken the weekend to really be with my kids. And like, my daughter is seven, so we did fake nails together. Like, she's legit. She wanted the glue nails, not the stupid little press-on nails that fall off. That fall off right away, yeah. wanted them to last for weeks. I think it's so awesome you did that with her. (laughs) That's so great. You know what's funny, because I looked ridiculous, is that um, we (laughs) talk to friends and they go, are you, do you have artificial nails on? Like, what is that? And so then my daughter was like, I don't understand why they noticed your nails and not mine. It was like, because yours look good, honey. I look a little ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, is that like the style now? Are those hers? What are you trying to accomplish? So, and now I have, uh, as you can see, but obviously the audience cannot, is that I have four left <laughs> that I can't get off. So now I really look like a piece of something, I tell you. What's right oh, with you? Tell me what's right with you. I would say the same thing. Um, a lot of time with family, we, Justin and I, my husband and I always keep saying like our four walls are good, which is you just have to focus on kind of what you can control, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we have grass in our backyard. It's a new I- thing this summer. <laughs> Because the dog, we just like ran rampant and it's, it's literally a life changer. It is. And we just love it. Yeah. It's nice to walk outside without shoes on. It is. And then just, yeah, I mean, and then I think trying to stay present in the moment because there's so much information always coming at us. Um, that's kind of like, what's right with me is I'm trying to work on that. And I would say that changes every 25 minutes. Sure. <laughs> I'll be like, oh shit, wait, which kind of leads me to today. So um, it's decision time. Everyone everywhere is deciding what the fall in school is going to look like. We've talked about a ton about like what's essential for learners when we return and your blog amazingly hit what needs to be addressed by teachers, educators, I guess we should say, just not just teachers, which is fear. Moving into that, even though I'm like, let's be present, let's talk about the realness of fear um, and how should we respond when it's presented day one this fall, hopefully this fall. (laughs) I think humans are funny because we do want to focus on kind of action. So we think about, are we going to have to wear masks in the fall? Um, is someone going to have to take temperatures, like the logistics piece? And not that that doesn't yeah. need to be decided because there are a lot of people who aren't in classrooms every day making a lot of decisions that aren't going to make any sense because we want to keep kids healthy and our staff healthy. But we're also trying to balance this element of, of fear, right? So teachers are afraid of getting sick and bringing that home to their families and parents are afraid that they're not going to be able to go to work because they're going to be stuck with remote learning. And let's be real. Not a lot of teachers were just huge fans of, you know, monitoring their kids at home on a computer for remote learning. Teachers are also afraid of, you know, are you going to make me do both? Am I going to have to manage my classroom? And then the kids who are opting to remote learn, like do less, like double duty 
here. And so how do we manage kids who refuse to wear the masks or the little ones who just won't keep them on their face? And so all of these unknowns are creating this huge cataclysmic, I believe, um, cyclone of just complete fear. And I think people, they, they say, well, not me, like I've got it under control. Uh, but fear doesn't necessarily look like sitting in the fetal position shaking. So fear is that anxiety, that tension. Uh, we've talked about it before, just even the heaviness that we're all carrying around because even our, you know, our, our the social issues that are circulating and the political like disgustingness that's all around us, like everyone is walking around kind of wondering who's the enemy and you know, like where's the line. So everyone is just like hanging by a thread, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And kids absorb that. So like Absolutely. as the adults get triggered by either uh, who's going to win the election in the fall? Is this whole world going up for grabs? Uh, you know, who's, who's being safe around my child and, and making sure their hands are washed and they're distanced and they're wearing a mask yeah. and who's not and whatever it is, like kids are, kids are picking up that either one way or another. And adults are probably coping some of them very healthily. And some of them like, yeah, absolutely. I think kids aren't going to know how to put words around it. And so we as teachers are going to have to get over our own fear and, and like be ready to respond to them. Mm-hmm. And, it, it like makes me leave too. Like whenever the first day of school, right. I don't know if I would put fear. It's like nervous excitement. Like, yes, my first interactions with the kids, this is what it's going to be like. And my fear um, as, as a teacher would be, is my first interaction going to tell them that their mask isn't on, right? Or is my first interaction going to be, hey, kids, I know we love each other, but right now we're going to have to still work on the distancing. And like, that is like a fearful setup for my classroom. So it's like such a gamut, right? It's like, oh my God. So you're worried about it impacting your relationships with your kids on the first day of school. Yeah. But again, if I think about that, it's probably like, that's just me. They'd be like, okay, okay. Like I'm used to this, you know, it's been five months, like we get it. So it probably, you can just rationalize it, all of it. I think that that's unpredictable. I think some kids are coming from households where masks are not happening because parents don't believe in it for one reason or another. Um, So they might say, no, especially in the middle school, screw you. Like we don't Mm -hmm. do that. And then now it's like, great. The dean office is going to be filled with kids and, and parents who say, no, we're not doing it. And then so do we tell them they have to do whatever. It goes a slippery slope. It's yes, it Listen is. To my um, fear. Do you hear my fear coming out? Like I know we're like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of brings me to like kind of what I was saying is I can always rationalize things. Is that there's got to be some science behind this? Do you know kind of like anything that goes on with our brains or our bodies and how we can identify that for well, our kids or for ourselves? I always tell our students that even though your mind hasn't acknowledged it, doesn't mean your body doesn't know what's occurring. So just because you think you've rationalized that you're not angry or that you're not scared, um, I I can pretty much, I can say from my gut that almost all of the incidences I've had with children, physical incidences, because I work with kids with emotional disabilities, somewhere along the line, it was fear that triggered it off. Because we know like the amygdala is that like primitive fight or flight, right? That's what taught us to run from saber-toothed tigers or whatever. You always hear that that jargon. Mm-hmm. So, but that's an, an obvious-ish. We think it's anger, but usually it's fear. But however, I think we forget or we overlook is a better word when it's subtle, especially those internalizers, you know, that are living in constant anxiety and tension. Um, your amygdala is still firing, you know, that 
the glucose is still being released into your bloodstream, the cortisol, the adrenaline, like your body is feeling that impact, whether you want to put words to it or not. And it's weakening your immune system. There's cardiovascular damage, kids with ulcers or, you know, intestinal issues that can all be related to anxiety. We call it anxiety. Anxiety is another word for fear, whatever it is. So when we talk about health right now and immunities and, you know, flu season's coming up on top of COVID, mm-hmm. whatever, it's clutch right now that we all take care of our minds as much as we take care of our bodies. Because if we don't and we allow ourselves to live in this state of chaos, we are more susceptible to being sick, just period. Yeah. And it's so important because we have other information coming at us, but yeah, mind and body. So what do you, I know you mentioned like the kids that you solely work with um, as a whole though, what do you think we'll see in the classrooms as educators or what will kids see kids, you know, what'll happen? I think life uh, occurs in in a bell curve format in most things. So I think you're going to have those externalizers that just look goofy. And when I mean goofy, it's those kids that um, it's a a lot of attention seeking behaviors or it's, you know, it could either, I I always say there's kind of like that silly attention seeking. And then there's that defiant attention seeking and, and that defiant piece being like that, just kind of looking for almost an aggressive conflict, seeking a fight, if you will. Teachers will kind of say like, you know, those are those are the kids that uh, are in the power struggles. Mm. Um, and then you're going to see, oh, I think you're going to have to really pay attention to those internalizers, those kids that are withdrawing, because I think we're all going to be so wrapped up in our own thoughts and our own opinions. They're very susceptible to being overlooked uh, because they're kind of just, staying away from the fray mm-hmm. and those kids that come in they're not necessarily going to self-advocate but they're just not engaging in the work they're not engaging with you i don't think teachers are going to be real quick to like push academic rigor Correct. but if kids are having a hard time connecting or they're not connecting with peers either so you don't see them socializing although i mean six feet apart but they're not socializing yeah uh limited eye contact they're not responding appropriately to corrections or to any kind of engagement when you're trying to interact with them, they're kind of just off on their own. Um, or you're going to see the, I mean, we're all going to see the lashing out. We're going to see those kids that present externally. Those are going to be obvious, but I think we do need to keep our eyes to the kids that are kind of quiet and off to themselves. I completely agree. That's, I envision that. I'm like, I'm going to have the kid who like cusses under his mask. <laughs> I might giggle to myself. Well, or then like, we talk about vaping under their masks. Like, are they just like, hiding that in there? Lesson one, kids, you got to get that out. Okay. You cannot get that. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I, I immediately think to the kids who, when class is almost over, you're like, oh my gosh, did I, did I connect with them? Because, you know, these 10 students were here and then academically this was here, but my middle, you know, these seven, oh, I, I, I do, I do worry about that. That's a good point to think about. So when we think of kids like that, how should we, how should we respond? Not just to them necessarily, but as a whole, and even adult to adult. Right. You know, what are ways we can respond? Here's the thing. There are some simple things to do, but when we look at how do we respond in the fall globally as a, as a school or as a classroom, they're kind of, I, I think there's two, two kind of categories we have to like focus on. One is going to be explicit instruction. It's putting skill into play explicitly for kids. And then the other one's going to be community building. So simple things when we talk about explicit instruction, acknowledging a student's feelings that even if you don't agree with them, they're real. So, you know, you're going to have some of those kids who are petrified of getting sick because their families are petrified of getting sick. Uh, You might think it's silly. You're like, I've sanitized this desk three times, Billy, you're not going to get sick. Like you might kind of just dismiss easily. 
Um, you have to acknowledge it's real for them and then help them build the awareness of what's happening in their bodies when their uncomfortable emotions start rising. Some kids, like we talked about, that brain is activated before they really know what's happening. So we try to get kids to recognize those things before responses occur, before they might, for example, lash out or do something. So really helping them understand what their physical cues are, the physiology behind it, mm. and then helping them express a way that's comfortable. Like kids don't necessarily want to talk. Teachers usually, their primary mode is they want to sit down and have a heart to heart. <laughs> they don't feel comfortable, especially if we're all going to be wearing masks. They might not feel comfortable sitting down. So drawing, music, art, whatever they need. I, I've had a lot of kids in the past who use art as their major form of expression, whatever they need. And then giving them the words and telling them basically like this is how to activate or how to get activate access help and having those trusted adults there. And then praising their courageousness of seeking help and telling them that courage comes with fear. And so you're not weak to be afraid. I mean, there's a lot of adults who are in a state of fear who are responding in very aggressive ways right now. So there's this misconception in kids that aggression is strength and it's not. It's actually mm -hmm. weakness. So, 100% is weakness. So we that have could to be the number one lesson this year for kids, I bet. That's awesome. Help them acknowledge that when I use a strategy, it's not, I'm not being weak. I'm actually being strong. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of like, as, a, as an athlete or a coach, you always say like, you don't want to react. Like you, you stay stoic, you stay poised. And then when the doors are closed, you can be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that occurred. And this happened. But it's like, you have to practice that, right? It doesn't just come. So this is an opportunity for us to teach, to show kids what that looks like, you know, that hopefully start to imitate. Yeah, we were, it's, this is silly. We were in the Starbucks line and it's kind of funky where there's a gap for the for through traffic and the lady, there was five cars, okay? 10 in front of us. I know I really wanted the coffee. So she cut us and the, and the lady in front of me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope she doesn't react. Like, please put a good song on. Everything's going to be okay. And she turned around, like we started laughing because all you can do is just like in that moment, we built a little community. Like, hey, this is kind of funny. We'll get through it. That lady must really need one more than us, you know, and it all worked out. But I thought, God, that really could have flipped. Yeah. Like if the person in front of me was in a certain way. So just little parts of our day I'm seeing now where like we can practice that. I always tell parents and kids, you have to practice when you're calm. Because once your brain takes over, your decision-making in your frontal lobe stops happening. So if you don't practice when you're calm, your visual and motor system, like, they're going to take over. So it has to become habitualized so that when you do become upset, you don't have to think. It's, it's a pattern. It's a habit. You're absolutely right. Practicing when you're calm. So your Awake and Accelerate blog is, website blog both, um, has some excellent strategies for our, our kids and for us individually as teachers. So I want to highlight that to our listeners too. like, check it out, check it out before we go back, um, whatever back is going to look like, because we can use it online. We can use it in person and it's going to be really helpful. Um, so what are some of the things that I'm talking about? Can you highlight them? So I put a link on the website that just some basic, like very basic strategy. A lot of teachers will kind of say, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not a social worker, uh, but unfortunately. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Unfortunately, the social workers are going to be pretty overwhelmed. If you looked at a social work, like the social workers list of kids they work with, you probably out of like that list, you'd say, oh, 10 of those kids. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, I, and then the other 40, you'd say, I have no idea that they have issues either going on at home or they're self-injurious or whatever it is. Like 
there's a t there's such a huge volume of kids that you're gonna have to be the front line. And so some of this work can be done with a social worker, but that carryover is gonna be with the teacher. I mean, they're gonna be primarily in the care of a teacher more so than they are going to be in the care of a social worker. So some of the skills that a social worker might um, explicitly teach students are simply breathing. And what, what we also talk about strategies is it's like a, a la carte, right? So when you go through, you kind of hand pick what you want to eat. It's, it's a smorgasbord. You wanna take all the ingredients that work for you. So not one strategy works in isolation. So for example, you said, I got cut off at Starbucks. I really wanted my <laughs> coffee. So I started breathing, right? But yeah. then you immediately went to kind of self-talk. You said, well, she probably needs it more than me. You know, this isn't gonna be my day, whatever you said, but those are two different strategies. Breathing and self-talk are two different strategies. You chose to pair them together. So I've done two day lessons just on the benefits of breathing alone. Like diaphragmatic breathing is one of the most beneficial easiest things that you can do, all of us, teachers, students can do um, to improve our health, to improve our focus, to just improve overall well-being in life is diaphragmatic breathing. And diaphragmatic breathing is a little bit different than you just sitting there and breathing. You want to fill the belly up. So um, a lot of times we tell kids to push all the air out first. And then when you fill back up again, make sure your belly fills. You're going to hold it for a little bit and then breathe out. Now, there's a lot of numbers that are associated with it, like breathe in for this, hold for that, breathe out for that. It doesn't okay. really matter. Um, just we usually tell kids to breathe out for double of what they were able to breathe in. So if you were breathing, That's a little bit more simply, yeah. If you breathe in for four seconds, hold for as long as that's comfortable for you and then breathe out for eight. You really want to make sure you're breathing everything out of that body, you're really emptying it out and then filling back up again. So breathing, um, visualization. Visualization works in two different ways. So we can either visualize something that's calming to us. I have students who bring in pictures that they hang on their wall. I have students who draw pictures. Some kids just want to close their eyes and envision a, a person, a place, something that just brings them back to their center. Another way we use visualization is when kids are anxious to do something, you know, take a test, whatever. So we say, visualize yourself already doing it. It's mm -hmm. kind of like that manifestation. So mm -hmm. close your eyes and see yourself, you know, killing that volleyball tryout or whatever it is that you're nervous about, but see it successfully in your head um, and do it over and over and over again. Uh, Self-talk is something I think that comes natural to some kids. So when I see that, I usually try to capitalize on it right away. Some kids do the negative self-talk, like, oh, I'm such an idiot, I can't believe I didn't do that. Or there's just no way I'm gonna pass this test. Or there's just no way I can do this or whatever, whatever. But if they're verbalizing a lot, like if that's kind of their just natural inclination is to verbalize, I will kind of just try to shift out that language so that it's positive, right? And so yes. we do I am statements before we leave our um, advisory in the morning. It's an advisory that's built up of students with emotional disabilities, but we have kids essentially identify like, what is the statement today? What are you today that you need to be to get through your day? So kids who are super tired will say like, I'm energized. Kids who are super nervous will say I'm confident or whatever. And we memorialize that somewhere in our classrooms so that when they are struggling and they come in for a break, they can see that. Um, and writing, drawing. Now, I will say that we have let kids like color because there's a lot of those like teen work pages you color whatever to feel better too. Like writing and drawing is a great strategy, but um, I did note in there you have to have like that limit setting practiced ahead of time because I did have a lot of students who like refused to stop. 
they wanted to spend an entire 55 minute class period coloring. And you're like, we got to move on. So yeah, I do too, kiddo, but there is a boundary here I need to set. <laughs> practicing time setting for that so that they know it's a five minute window, a 10 minute window. If they, if they struggle transitioning, like giving them a strategy to transition out or making sure that when they do use this strategy, it's after they've already been accountable to doing something if they're emotionally capable of doing that. Then the, the last two, like one is um, sensory grounding. So um, that is really when you talk about being present that's really drawing awareness just to, to your senses. So like five things I see, uh, four things I hear, like three things um, I, I feel like I attach the, um, a visual for it. And then one- yeah, But I can see that like, that's like a tangible, is a tangible the right word of um, mindfulness for kids? Exactly. Where it's like adults, we practice and it's a little challenging, but we can be like, no, think of these right now. Boom, right. cool. You're really trying to shift your state out of your problem and into your body so that you're kind of like, snapping that state of mind. Wait, let me repeat that. That you're cycling in. I'm shifting my state out of, say that again. You're shifting your state of mind into your body. So like we're, we're out of like this emotional experience and you're bringing it back into your body so that you can clear yourself. Cool. I was like, wait, repeat that. I need that to sink in. Okay. And then the last one is requesting space. This is the easiest for teachers to use, but it can get very overused. So for example, if every time Billy is struggling, you say, okay, Billy, why don't you see the social worker? And you notice that Billy's been at the social worker's office for you know two hours a day, five days a week, um, then we're really not, like we need to examine to make sure that the interventions are put in place are actually effective because our ultimate goal is that Billy's a part of his learning community. Um, the academics can come, but you want our children to be healthily participating in a, a learning community with other peers, right? We talked about like when kids are at risk or they're a trauma, they have a hard time connecting with adults and with peers. So we want to make sure our interventions like that will be a symbol of growth is the longer they can actually sustain in an environment where they're being expected to connect with other human beings. So if they do need to request space, make sure it's with a trusted adult. Make sure you're documenting how long, you're documenting what you're doing at that time, what strategies you're practicing, because you're gonna wanna make sure that it's just, it's useful time. Um, sometimes that space can be in your classroom. So if I was gonna say, that's almost like a challenge is like, cause you had said the social workers are gonna be busy, right. just with natural things and summer catch up, right, from kids. So try to put that in your classroom. Okay, right. here's our first line of personal space we're going to or requesting space. And we're and not going to isolate just yet. And when we think know. about like requesting space, we kind of think about just like just personal proximity. So yes, absolutely. Like if a kid is super agitated, you being up in their face is not ever a, a good thing. It's never appropriate. You're just going to activate that brain, that fear that they already have going on. So the personal proximity makes sense. But sometimes when kids get a little bit more external with their behaviors, people want to just kind of eliminate them from the educational setting. And like you say, our social workers are going to be pretty overwhelmed. They might not have the space to go. So creating a space in your room, but again, kind of like the coloring or the drawing or the writing, music, whatever, like those things that kids can kind of lose themselves in, we want to make sure we practice setting limits on it so that they're not just kind of hiding out for long periods of time. Yeah, like we need to start to think of this as educators because we got to help them out. We got to help all the kids out. And and two, as they get older, we want to draw awareness too. Did, did these strategies work for you? Oh, okay. You know, I had a, a student who, yeah, music and, you know, then we're, uh, we have iPads at our school, so, or YouTube. Music and YouTube might make you feel better, but if you're just using it to avoid the emotion in the moment and you can't transition back, 
it's not a successful strategy. Like the whole point is that you're overcoming this emotional state in order to participate in your, in your life right now, you know, to, to be emotionally present. So if it drawing pictures, it gets you calm in the moment, that's great, but you might need an additional strategy to like bring you back to being able to engage with the people around you. So helping them understand, okay, what worked for me? You know, I had one student who it was a long journey, but when we finally broke this child of constantly trying to escape onto like a YouTuber, you know, on that iPad, because they, they saw the iPad as the strategy. And we had to talk about the difference between avoiding our emotions and overcoming them. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid them, they're not necessarily going away. Because the minute you put that iPad down, you're re-triggered, right? It all comes back to you again, right? Because you didn't actually work through your problem. So we want to make sure that there's always a reflection piece tied to this too. I did attach also to the strategies page on the website, Awaken Accelerate. I did attach like a reflection piece just for them to quickly fill out with an adult after they, why did you use it? Identifying for them, what triggered you? I always bring the physiology. How did you know you were like, what was going on? And then, you know, to help them identify faster next yeah. time. What strategy well, did you use and did it work? Yeah. And these, like all the things you're talking about are if we have a homeroom or an advisory or I don't know what schools will call it, some sort of small group, like we have to start there. Yeah. Obviously I would put it into my classroom. It's a little bit trickier, right? With academics and more students. And if you build that little small community and work on these, then hopefully they can bring them to each classroom and the whole community then is better. And it's just not me working solo on my own classroom. Note to your class when you're using these strategies. Oh, be explicit. Like say, Hey, guess what? And let them see that this is, this is not something that they as children just need. This is something that all humans need. So um, for example, I have I am statements that I come up with every school year. They're taped on my desk so that the kids don't think that I'm just telling you to do it. I believe in it too. Like I'm invested because I think the outcome will be, you know, beneficial. Like I'm invested in these because I, I believe they work. That is what led me down this journey anyway, was when I was yeah. going to teach kids this, I wanted to make sure I tried it for myself or breathing or visualization. Cool. I have pictures on my desk that I said, this is my image. I have two pictures of my separate pictures of my children sleeping that I keep in my drawer. And when you're upset, it's just like, whew, it gets perspective. Right. And I walk through that journey with my students of why this visual image works for me. My students know exactly when I'm frustrated. They know I'm pulling my hair up in a ponytail. And you know what I think too is students that I know that work with you trust and respect you to the exponential degree because of what you're describing. Because like nothing is hidden. It's like, no, no, I'm human too. And like, I may be older and wiser, but it's still hitting me in a way I need to practice this. And I, I, you just nailed it. Like now I see it. I remember like kids being like, Oh yeah. Cause you're real. And to be maybe go on limb and say, we got to be successful this year. We all got to be real, real about this. Yeah. I think that we're the, the adults are going to have to process their fear for their students. The older kids, especially they can handle it. And we'll, yeah. we'll through that. Real conversations are going to need to happen, which is what we're going to be hitting yep. in the upcoming weeks. Yeah. So we have, the Art of Listening coming up, um, an episode on disagreeing, and then being able to facilitate uncomfortable conversations that are about to transpire. And then along that is building an empathetic community. As we know, having empathy is key. Clutch right now. Yeah. Clutch. So hopefully we'll get some people on to help us with these topics, but that's what we'll be doing in the next upcoming weeks. All right. We'll see you then. All right. Well, thanks for coffee. Clutch. Yes. Thank you. <laughs>